Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap for February 24th. Hope everybody's doing well halfway through the week. February is almost over. The snow started to melt here. It's great. We love to see it. I am fired up for this show. I really think this is a good one. We are going to talk about why I think they need to bring back Bracket Busters, but in a new way. Call it Bubble Busters. It is off the inspiration of Marquette in North Carolina playing tonight in Chapel Hill, so we'll talk about that. We really won't talk too much about the matchup, more so my dream hypothetical situation I've come up with. Then we will talk about how I've made peace with Aaron Jones leaving. Uh, Some of the reports out yesterday, tampering season is here, as one Packer blogger pointed out. And then we'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks keeping the foot on the gas pedal and handling their business against the Minnesota Timberwolves and just where we're at right now with the Bucks. We'll do a lot more Bucks tomorrow with Mitch and I, so look forward to that. But let's start with Marquette, North Carolina tonight. So I am very excited for Marquette, North Carolina. I'm going to have something out for the Instagram, kind of like Snowtap WI watch list. Um, I look forward to it. It's something I'm looking forward to doing. Having, hopefully having it out next Monday if I can get my ass in gear. And You never, you always got to be careful to get your ass in gear. But now that I've talked about it, I know I'm going to try to do it. I think this was the most excited I am for a sporting event this week. Like I know the Bucks and Clippers play over the weekend, and that's a it's a big game, and that's an exciting game. It's ABC. It's always cool to be on ABC as an NBA team. But I'm so pumped up for this game, and I don't know if it's because I grew up liking North Carolina. I, I was I guess I was a North Carolina fan. I was gonna say I didn't grow up really as, but I always had a more inkling towards North Carolina. I didn't really like Duke. I felt like you had to choose one as a kid, and I chose North Carolina. I liked Antoine Jameson. I liked Vince Carter, Joe Forte. I had a jersey of his. Ed Coda. Um, who else? Uh, Indi, Brendan Hayward, Chris Lang. I mean, all those dudes, right? Like, I could go all day on North Carolina guys. Rashad McCants, um, or a little later there. But, like, I loved North Carolina growing up as a kid. And I also liked Marquette, but North Carolina was my other team. They played each other. Gosh, I was in, I think I was in middle school and they played each other. North Carolina beat the ever living shit out of Marquette. And we'll see what happens in this game. I'm not expecting too much. I think I'm just fascinated by the whole process. I'm fascinated by the fact that Marquette got this done. They get another quad one team to play. And if Marquette does, in fact, win this game, they have an outside shot at making the NCAA tournament as crazy as that sounds. But I think anything's on the table. I mean, Michigan State is talking their way back into it. They just beat Illinois. And all of a sudden, Michigan State's found sort of something in with their team. And I don't know if you want to play Michigan State right now. I know you don't want to play Duke right now. And you could make the same argument about North Carolina. North Carolina is kind of lot laid in the weeds. And they have a ton of talent. They're a very good team. The inside game, not having Justin Lewis likely, is going to be a major factor in this game and I I don't really like Marquette's chances without having Lewis in there I don't think he's going to be playing I don't know maybe he will that would be a great lift but I think they're going to struggle with Carolina's interior Theo John can only do so much I don't think Dawson is there just yet 
So that's kind of my slight analysis with the Marquette North Carolina game because I won't talk too much about it, obviously, because Mitch and I will be doing the podcast kind of right after the game or as I might have it on while while we're podcasting, which is always a dangerous thing. I, I kind of don't like doing that, but special occasions call for special situations. But what I wanted to talk about more was the fact that they're doing this and that I feel like more teams should kind of do these bubble burster type games and that I really feel like teams should get an opportunity to play someone else that's on the bubble right at the end of the season. And and maybe not at the end of the season because it, we're getting right down to the nitty gritty. And, th- and this is only possible because of COVID, right? When there is never a season where Marquette and North Carolina are playing in the last week of February, right? That's ridiculous. You have Houston playing Western Kentucky uh, tomorrow, uh, which I, is, again, a pretty good game. And these teams are just kind of recklessly abandoned, reckless scheduling with reckless abandon. There we go. Because they, they just need to, and they want to play teams. They want to keep playing basketball. They don't want to have pauses, not because they have COVID, but because the teams they're playing have COVID. So I, I, I really appreciate it. And I said this on, on Monday's show, like I respect the hell out of Marquette for doing it. And so I'm wondering why can't we have a weekend dedicated to this, that the schedule makers, everybody says, all right, the, the weekend after uh, Super Bowl. Weekend after Super Bowl, we are going to have this be a bubble burster weekend. And teams can either opt in or opt out. Everybody's favorite word in 2020 or 2021 can opt in or opt out to this. And basically the opt-in says we are, I wouldn't say concerned that we're not that good, but just in case we're going to put ourselves in here and it will be randomly selected among the teams. And you can say, all right, it's anyone from, you know, really any conference. You just have to, like, fit the resume. Like, a team like Drake or Loyola could be entered in here. Now, they're not really on the bubble at this point. They're both kind of safely in the tournament. But, like, anyone can enter, and we would just blow this thing out and that they would make decisions. Now, they used to do this called Bracket Buster, where you'd have, like, Gonzaga, before Gonzaga kind of taking it to another level, play like a Drake or play like a Loyola to help their resume. It's a little bit different now. And so that's where I think it would be cool to have something like this. And so I put together a sort of random kind of how this would work and what this might look like and some of the games we might get. Based off Joel Lenardi's bubble teams and his first four, or his first four out, his first four in, his like next four out or the last four buys, as he likes to call it. So all of those things jumped in. I also included Jerry Palms into the mix. So we have the games right here, and you would have these at the actual stadium. Now let's pretend COVID is not a thing next year; it shouldn't be, and they are able to have fans. So. These fans would get a unique experience again against a team that they might not play that often. Also, another caveat, you could play a team in your conference. And if you do, it does not count towards your conference record. This is considered a non-conference game. It is simply for to help or hurt your resume as you go forward. Let's put it into the guise of this year. So let's just say this is happening on Saturday. 
these teams are granted this game. Their schedules have been cleared. They get to play. Now, we will take out the home crowd because there obviously isn't a home crowd right now. So that sucks. But we'll say it's at a you know their home gym. If they can't have fans, great. And, and basically kind of what this would mean for these teams. So the first matchup, we have SMU against Richmond. Do you know how good of a situation that would be for both teams? Richmond, who pushed back on the idea that the A-10 is bumping up their tournament because they're worried about COVID. SMU, who I don't think anyone's really talked about too much. The American Conference hasn't been good all year. They're looking like a potential one-bid, two-bid league. It's probably why you don't really like Houston when it comes to the tournament time. That's another story for another time. But yeah, great opportunity for both teams. Second game. You guys are going to love this. Duke at Utah State. Yes. Duke versus Utah State in Logan, Utah. Do you know how fucking awesome that would be? Like, just think about this for a second. You have Duke going up to the mountains in February to play Utah State of all teams. Utah State gets a massive opportunity who at started out so hot, they've kind of fallen off with losses to UNLV. They lost twice to Boise. They also, I think they lost to Colorado State too. So like they have had losses, but it's all in conference. We don't really know what Utah State is outside of their own conference. So and I think they actually have played a few conference games, but they've not played someone at Duke's caliber. And Duke gets an opportunity to kind of boost their their resume although like let's just be honest with each other if duke ends up anywhere close to the bubble they're fucking in and guess what they're gonna be a first four team because you know what if you have duke as a first four team do you know what the ratings are gonna be like you can lock that in like that is a lack of locks third matchup you have louisville against stanford I would argue these are probably two of the more disappointing teams of the season. Louisville's had all sorts of COVID issues. Stanford had a top recruit with Zaire Williams. I think a lot of people were really high on Stanford to start the year. This would give give Stanford a great opportunity to win again at their home gym, which they have barely been able to play at this season because of COVID. The fourth matchup, we have a... Big 10 versus Big 10 matchup. Not really surprising with how good the Big 10 is. Maryland versus Indiana. Dave, I believe, already played twice this year. So another shot at these to, you know, help their resume, to build their case. The fifth game, you have Colorado State at North Carolina. Maybe not as cool as Duke, Utah State, but you get another Mountain West team playing a Blue Blood. Colorado State going to North Carolina getting a chance. Colorado State, sneaky, loves to shoot the three. Um, That would be an awesome environment there. Sixth game, you have St. Louis taking on Seton Hall. Again, I'm not really that hyped for that one, but it's, you know, a physical matchup. I think that would be what people would describe that one. That would be definitely a fight between those two teams. Game seven, VCU and UConn awesome i think there's a lit isn't there a history with vcu and uconn i don't know if they met have vcu and uconn met in the tournament but still uconn turning time always kind of there's something right and there's just a weird magic about you uconn and and in that area same with vcu a little bit and then the last two you have colorado minnesota minnesota's at home so they would win uh, <laughs> 
Colorado, who knows? Colorado's a mixed bag team. And then Georgia Tech and Xavier. I, I don't, that doesn't do much. I think they're both private schools. But regardless, like, that's awesome basketball. I mean, aren't you signing up for a full day of that? Like, who is it? And, and that's the type of shit that the NCAA has to think about. Because if they say, all right, we're going to reserve 12 games, right? We're going to play 12 games, and those teams are going to play, and then we'll figure out the schedule for everybody else. Now, is this probably impossible? Yeah, it might be. It might just be impossible, and it might not just it might just not work. But I also wonder if teams are going to start looking at maybe if we have an open Saturday, hey, do we want to play a better team than than we usually would play? Like not playing like a team from the MAC or a team from the Sun Belt, and actually playing like another ACC team, or you know, asking one of those teams, hey, maybe let's schedule this later in the year. And kind of give that last little push. I don't know. I don't know if what's going to change after the COVID world. And if we're going to have any sort of alterations. I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there's stuff that people are going to look at and say, I kind of like that. And I think teams are going to think about, well, if we have 10 days, like, why can't we schedule a game? We easily, you know, Carolina was able and Marquette were able to figure something out in less than 10 days. I guarantee you there is an agreement that Carolina is probably going to come back to Milwaukee at some point, but who knows when that'll be. You know, it might be five or six years from now, but I'm sure there is a agreement for Carolina to come back. And maybe there isn't. Maybe it's just done out of Steve Wojciechowski, you know, obviously has his ACC backgrounds and maybe that's how it started. I'm not, I you know, who knows? And that's great. And I, again, I'm really excited for it. I don't know how it's going to go. It's the first time I've been excited for a Marquette game, I think, since the UCLA game. Or no, they Creighton. I was excited for the Creighton game uh, back in like the middle of December. But yeah, it's it's kind of been all downhill since then. Um, and it, and so I, I at least am glad I have a, a game to look forward to for the Golden Eagles. All right, let's switch topics and talk a little football. So Aaron Jones rumors out today that Aaron Jones and the Miami Dolphins have mutual interest. I am not surprised. Aaron Jones also looking for about $15 million per year. I'm pretty sure from what I remember from Rob Domofsky, the Packers are at about 11 or 12. So this makes sense. This all makes sense, actually. Aaron Jones obviously has an agent in Drew Rosenhaus now that is Miami born and bred. The guy has more Miami connections than Dave Portnoy. Maybe not Dave Grutman from 11, um, but he has a ton of Miami connections. So it's not surprising that Rosenhaus is already floating out the Dolphins in rumors. Dolphins need a running back. They were running back by committee all year. Adding a guy like Jones for Tua or for whoever's at quarterback would be a massive upgrade. Jones is a, Jones would really help that Dolphins team. And I think for the pack for Packer fans, I think we'd be thrilled that Aaron Jones is in the AFC and we don't have to see him tear it up. I also think that $15 million is way too much for a running back. And I'm starting to make peace with Aaron Jones not being here. I always I always thought that Aaron Jones would not come back. I thought that there are too many people who see what Jones can do and they'll take the cheese. 
And now I'm not ragging on Aaron Jones. Like, go get your money, dude. Like, if you get $15 million from the Miami Dolphins, like, fucking do it. I'm not stopping you. But also what I'm saying is I looked at you the stat about the top rushers in the Super Bowl. I think their average salary was $3 million a year or something dumb like that. Like, you, good teams do not overpay for running backs. That just does not happen. They don't do that. Now, if a good team overpays for Aaron Jones, maybe we have to think, hey, is Aaron Jones more than a running back? A lot of people have said that. But Aaron Jones has some injury stuff. And and it's a little, it's different, but it, it's similar to the Malcolm Brogdon thing where like everybody lost their mind. People still bring up Malcolm Brogdon, which is fucking so goddamn dumb. But people still do it. People still talk all the time that Malcolm Brogdon like should still be a buck. And the Lazarus were cheap. And I guarantee you there will be people doing that with Aaron Jones. That Brian Gunacus was cheap and they should have gave him $15 million. There are people wanting him to take the franchise tag. I'm like, do you guys even know how the franchise tag fucking works? Like, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the franchise tag only really inquires that you're going to sign this guy. You just don't want to sign him at the price. And it almost always leads to a lockout. And if you're Jones, why wouldn't you sit out the season? You have a newborn kid. Who knows what COVID's going to be like? You saw Le'Veon Bell do it and then make $10 million the next year. I don't know if anyone can do the same thing, but it's been done before. So I would doubt that they would tag Aaron Jones. I would be very surprised if they would tag Aaron Jones. They are going to let him walk, and they're going to let him kind of see what he can get. And there's a reason they got A.J. Dillon. Also remember this. Mike Shanahan who is the mentor of Matt LaFleur, who is the guy who started all for Matt LaFleur, went through running backs like we do socks. Like he had Terrell Davis, was great. Mike Anderson, fantastic. Orlandis Gary, really good. Uh, There was another guy in Denver that was pretty good as a running back that I'm forgetting. There's a third guy. But to that point is like, Shanahan has always went through running backs. I you we saw it a little bit with the 49ers, right? Like the 49ers had three guys that were competent enough. Now they did give Raheem Mosert a little bit of an extra pay, you know, kind of upgraded his pay, but they didn't they didn't overpay for Mosert. They didn't give Mosert a huge contract. And apparently San Francisco's in on Aaron Jones. And if San Francisco does sign Aaron Jones, then I'm a little like uh San Francisco signs him, I'm I'm a little worried then. Then I'm just like, all right, maybe he actually was worth it. Just because I put Kyle Shanahan on such a other pedestal than a lot of the coaches in the NFL. But I, I'm okay with Aaron Jones leaving. I It sucks. It sucks to lose any skill player, right? And the Packers have lost a great deal of skill players throughout the years. But you gotta, you gotta respect their track record on this, right? Like, look at the guys that have left Green Bay after the fact. Eddie Lacy got cut, but he was terrible. He was never the same after he left. He really wasn't that good when he left Green Bay. Jordy Nelson got cut, went to the Raiders, had, was good in the red zone, but that was about it. Jordy was washed. You had Randall Cobb, who went to Dallas, didn't really do much in Dallas. He had a decent year with Deshaun Watson in Houston, but remember, who he got throwing the balls? Deshaun Watson. So you can maybe argue Randall Cobb still had a little bit left in his tank. You got to remember Randall Cobb is actually 
uh, younger than anyone thinks. Greg Jennings, another great example. Guy who got paid and then was absolute dog shit for Minnesota, was not good for Miami, and thus ended Greg Jennings' career. So the Packers know that they can retool at the, at the running back position. If they draft a guy like Najee Harris or they draft Travis Etienne, I think Etienne more than Harris, although I've seen some Packer Twitter Najee Harris buzz. And Najee Harris, I mean, Najee Harris with A.J. Dillon would be as physical of a fucking running attack as the Packers have had probably since Edgar Bennett and Dorsey Levins, which is, I mean, God, that, that was in the 90s, right? Like that was, feels like ages ago. But if you added ETN, who I really like out of Clemson, ETN is just another Aaron Jones. He's literally a younger Aaron Jones. And I don't know, maybe ETN isn't that good, but I think the ceiling would be there. He's a pass catcher. He's a guy, he's a shifty running back. He would be a great compliment to AJ Dillon. He also takes back kicks. I think he might take back punts. So like you can use ETN like as a hybrid combo, Aaron Jones, Tyler Irvin sort of thing. So I am okay with Aaron Jones leaving and you should be too. And if you aren't because, you know, you like rooting for the guy, I get it. He's a good dude. Like, it's not like it's not like he's an asshole. It's not like it's Jack Parkman leaving the Indians here. It's, it's a fucking awesome guy. But at the same time, he's not worth $15 million. No running back is. And the teams that keep paying $15 million to running backs are the teams that still finish 8-8 eight and eight or 9-9, nine 9-7, and, nine, nine and and then wonder why their offensive line sucks or they can't stop anybody in the secondary. And it's like, well, you gave like 15 mil per year to Aaron Jones instead of shoring up your line or signing a safety. Those skill players are big ass shiny objects and they put asses in the seats, especially in the day of fantasy. And and you guys know, talked about it before, it drives me crazy how much we rely on fantasy to drive engagement, drive attention. But if the Dolphins bring in AJ Jones, or AJ, Aaron Jones, it, it's a big deal. It would be a big deal for their fan base. And I'm not sure it would be worth the squeeze at 15 mil per year. Now the Dolphins are just one team, obviously. We'll see if anybody else comes to roost. As for the Milwaukee Bucks to kind of wrap us up here tonight, today well, i'm taping this tonight but to wrap us up today it was an awesome game from the milwaukee bucks i know it's the minnesota timberwolves i know they're one of the worst teams in basketball right but you put up 30 139 points on anybody that's very impressive and the milwaukee bucks looked like a juggernaut tonight they had an offensive rating of 124 that is very high 100 is kind of the average they were at 124 the night They were playing at an extremely efficient level. Yet again, another huge game from Giannis Antetokounmpo, who had 38 points, 8 boards, 8 assists. So the Bucs are feeling good. It's hard to say that the Bucs are back, right? Like people are obviously going to be excited about a three-game winning streak. The Bucs now 5-5 in their last 10, for those that are wondering. They're only two back from the Sixers for the number one spot in the Eastern Conference. So it's not like the Bucks, you know, kind of did themselves wrong when they had their losing streak of five games. The Bucks sort of recovered nicely, which I 
I was never like that scared of these first three games because I knew you're playing some of the worst teams in basketball. Granted, Oklahoma City's scrappy and they lost to them, but you're playing three teams that aren't very good. And so I thought that was something that could really help booster the Bucks' confidence. And that is exactly what this sort of stretch has done. Now, we'll talk about the Pelicans and the the uh, Clippers tomorrow with Mitch. But this is a good start for Milwaukee. This is getting off on the right foot. This is kind of creating no extra doubt. Because what they did was they went out and beat each team by double digits. They didn't just kind of win. They won convincingly. And I think that matters because the Bucks were so bad in that five-game losing streak. And yeah, every team goes through a rough patch, but it, it just seemed like the team had lost their swagger. And even if this is what kind of gets the Bucks back, and if the Bucks talk at the end of the season and the championship DVD, we're talking about how these three games sort of catapulted everything for Milwaukee, then it's all worth it. And yeah, Giannis continues to be awesome. Giannis continues to just dominate. And I, I don't know if he's getting the attention he deserves. I know we talked about the MVP stuff. I, I'm so out on the MVP conversation, by the way. Like, who gives a fuck? This isn't going to happen till May, guys. Like, I, I'm just kind of done with it in general. So that's a side tangent. Let's just talk about Giannis the player. I think Giannis caught a lot of heat earlier this season. I think people were down on Giannis because they thought Giannis would take his game to another level. When he didn't, when it looked like it was the same thing over and over again, people raised a lot of eyebrows. But now it need they need to correct themselves because the way Giannis is playing is unbelievable. In 29 minutes, he had 37 points. He scored 13 of 18. He made 10 of 13 free throws. So again, another efficient night from the free throw line. And he kind of did it all. Like everybody in the Bucks starting lineup was in double figures, but they didn't really have great games. Like, you know, Chris Middleton was 6 of 19 tonight. Chris Middleton shot one more attempt than Giannis, but only made six of them. He did not have a good night. Middleton's kind of slump continues, picked a wrong time for a slump. And then, yeah, Dante DiVincenzo made three threes. That's good. But it really was about Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis on the bench who kind of, you know, carried the tide. Bryn Forbes was great tonight off the bench with 23 points and five threes. And that is also how the Bucs can win games against good teams is you need that Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis kind of combination if Middleton's not going. Now, I know they're, again, they're playing the Timberwolves, all right? Like, we we get it. But you need to have that, that kind of that second guy if Middleton's going to not show up. And, I, and I'm not trying to be critical here. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, Middleton, whatever. But maybe he was a little bummed out about the All-Star game. Maybe he was forcing it a little bit too much. And yeah, he, you know, doesn't have the the game that he expected to. He 15 points, seven, seven rebounds, four assists. But yeah, six to nineteen is not good from the field for Middleton. So you have but you had other guys pick him up, and and that's kind of I don't know. I'm kind of into that, right? I and I I just uh, also too like Thanasis. I know people give Thanasis a lot of shit, and people aren't really big Thanasis guys. 
But he had six points. He had eight rebounds. He grabbed four offensive boards. He had a plus 14 PER in 19 minutes. It's pretty good. It's it's, a, it's doable. I don't know if it's going to be doable against a team like the Clippers on Sunday. But it's at least doable for a, a team like the Timberwolves. And when you're playing a bad team, sometimes you need that kick in the ass so everybody knows what's up. So I I really like what I've seen from the Bucks in the last three games. I'm not ready to just throw my chips all the way back in. I think they're still inconsistent and we have a long way to go. But this is a good start. This is an encouraging start for the Bucks. And I can only hope that it continues as we go on this weekend. But like I said, with Mitch and I, we're going to do a little bit more on Chris Middleton as well as, you know, the the tests that lie with New Orleans and the Los Angeles Clippers uh, on tomorrow's Tabbing the Kite. Oh, do we want to do a ticket story time? Like a surprise ticket story time? I was, I thought I was going to run out of time and now I'm looking at it. I'm at like 30 minutes. And I'm not prepared. I, I won't do it. I will save it for Friday. All I will tell you is it involves a famous Packer running back. It's a Packer game, a cold weather environment, and a drunk opposing fan. So that's where we'll start. I will, If you can figure out which Packer running back I'm talking about. It's an obscure name, but it's a Packer running back. And it was a cold game, and it, I was dealing with a drunk fan of another team. So if you can figure out the game I'm talking about, uh, I'll, I'll hook you up with something. I don't know what it is. I'm so bad at prizes. Like somebody today, just as a side tangent as we're at the end of the show, I was I taught, I invited some friends to play in a golf league that I'm in. And my buddy replied and goes, oh, I'm waiting for snow tap madness. And I'm like, fuck, I got to do that again. And I'm like, what do I give as a prize? Dude, should we do like a podcast appearance? People want money. Like what, what actually do you want as a prize? And I, maybe I'll ask that to Instagram tomorrow. I'll be like, all right, I'm going to do, you know, a tournament. Like what, what do you guys want as a prize? Do you want cash? Do you want me to donate to something? Do you want me to, um, you know, do you want to be a host? Like pick something out. Like I'm all ears. I'd love to hear it. So maybe I'll do that. Maybe put it on the blog as well as the, as well as the IG, and we'll we'll figure something out. All right, guys, take care of yourself. Have a awesome Wednesday. We will be back tomorrow for a tapping the keg. Four oh five. We're talking Chris Middleton. We'll talk some Brewers tomorrow too. I don't know if anything Packers will come down the line. If JJ Watt wants to sign tomorrow. I ain't gonna blame him. By the way, do we really need to hang on every fucking tweet of JJ Watts? It's a little much. Okay. Just I'm excited too, but you know, let's just calm down. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a great day. All right, bye.